Welcome to the Bank Marketing Show, the podcast that engages and informs you for success in today's marketplace. It's the show that will make you a better marketer with trends, tactics, and inspiration from experts and industry leaders. If you're wanting to impact your personal success and position your bank as the best choice in your market, you're in the right place. Now let's dive into today's show with your hosts, Chris and Dan. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Bank Marketing Show. Um, I'm one of I'm half the hosts, uh, Dan Navalis. Uh, Chris, welcome. Good to see you, Dan. Yeah. Um, today we're really excited to have um, two distinguished authors on the show. Um, I've got Allison Netzer and Liz High, who wrote the book uh, "Think Like a Brand, Not a Bank." Welcome, Allison and Liz. It's great to have you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Absolutely. We're we are excited to have you guys. We're, we're glad that we got connected through mutual friends in the industry. Uh, all of us bank marketing folks have to stick together, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, well, great. Well, let me let me share a little bit of an overview. And this is kind of coming from your book. But Allison, you had a background and you started with Dell. I did. Yeah. Yes. Um, and Way then, back in the day. Yeah, back in the day. And then rolled through. Yeah, was that like, you know, the, the, the 3.5? You know, slide. Yeah, it was the mid seventies. Yeah, right. no, it was not. <laughs> we, yeah. No, we did still have the discs and all of those things. There but you go. I, uh, yeah, it was it was yeah. back in the day. Yeah, uh, but then you spent a couple of decades and worked with some very large and recognizable brands. I mean, Cisco mm -hmm. and Dallas Cowboys, and you know, a, a, a yeah. lot of those uh, before you shifted into financial services. Right. Um, so now you're in the hole with all of us and all of our listeners. Right? Yeah, and I'm not leaving. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and and worked with a major uh, disruptive fintech brand and mm -hmm. all of that. And I think we'll uh, get into and bring forth some of that expertise and experience a little bit more as we as we go here. So sure, um, sounds good. Yeah, so so great stuff there. Thank um, you. And, and Liz, uh, you've had, from what I understand, uh, a, a versatile and diverse marketing career. You've worked in a number of of different marketing industries and roles. As well, and that goes, you know, that goes back quite a while. Uh, but your, your, I guess, uh, your groove is, is you're a research, data, data driven person too. Which, which Dan's just, you know, falling <laughs> in love with, with, with the data driven side of your work world, you know, uh, as well, because that's certainly his. You've worked with a number of different uh, successful and and big consulting firms. Uh, over the years as well. And I, I love what you say in here, thinking like a brand is your day job. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. So that's great. Um, yeah. And, and Dan and I were hoping to kind of start here a little bit with your why. Why, why, did, you, why did you guys write this book? And that, we get that question a, a lot. I would say, you know, our inspiration are, are the, you know, the bankers and the marketers um, that we've had the privilege of working with over the last mm -hmm. six years now, Liz. Yeah. Um, I, I know it may sound a little silly, but the the creativity, the drive, the fun that is needed to think like a brand um, does exist in banking. We've experienced it daily. So the opportunity at the book we're highlighting is is really just that. You know, financial institutions have the unique ability to be embedded into the lifestyles and businesses of everyone in the world. Um, so to do that, 
you have to have a brand first mindset to make that accessible. So that's that's the spirit kind of behind the book, the motivation. And it was on Liz's bucket list. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, if that first preamble didn't make any sense, the shorter version is it was on her bucket list. And my part in the friendship is to push her to do things she doesn't want to do. So that's yeah. that's the other reason why I wrote it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing is that, you know, we were getting asked uh, the same questions a lot when mm-hmm. we started first working out with banks and credit unions. So, you know, how can we do this? And a lot of the questions started with uh, a but or a we can't. So the idea behind the book was to get everyone to your point around mindset that says, let's start with uh, maybe a why not. (laughs) Uh, You know, let's start with we can do something. And it was really to to change the conversation from it's really hard to be creative in banking to actually there's some really quite, you know, easy and small steps that you can take now. That's really interesting. The, you know, it's it's little words, you know, when you're talking to somebody that often just holds so much meaning. Mm-hmm. So I love I love that. Um, you know, we can't because it's just it's the status quo. There's not a law or regulation against it. It's just how you know many things have been done for a long time. Right, but um, we're a bank. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, can yes. you talk a little about, you know, the, the word brand floats around a lot. And I know like when I, you know, you know, when I hear it, I think something, but somebody that's not somebody that's a banker that's not, you know, coming from a marketing background um, might think about it differently. Can you talk a little about how you define brand and and maybe a little bit about how most banks, most banks think of it? Sure. We we started the book really with what brand is not. Um, and and telling bankers what something is not is sometimes more effective than telling them what it can be. So, brand is not it's not soft and fluffy. It's not an art project. Really, a big goal of the book is making the business case for brand. A lot of the data that Liz brought to the table is showing the financial returns, not just the feel good part, but the financial returns when you focus on brand and building that brand equity, right? The, the word equity is real. There is a real value there. So that's that's a big piece of kind of how we define it. And we also define it by who it belongs to. Marketing is a departmental function. Brand belongs to everyone, which sounds really nice and sweet, but it also means it is the responsibility of everyone to participate and carry it forward. So... Sorry, I get a little fired up about that, but it's it is a it is a discipline. It is uh, it has a business function and a business value. So we try to give, you know, the the data, the argument, the you know, the business case. Whether you're talking to a CFO, CEO, an investor, a fellow marketer, um, so yeah, yeah I mean, so much more than so uh, you know, so much more than just logo than just a tagline. Yes, it is. It is so much more than logo and a tagline. I think we need to think of a word for when we mean logo and tagline so that we stop saying that when we mean brand. Like, yeah. I just think we need to think of a term. doesn't have to be right this second, but like, that well, is no, a funny thing. Say, funny you should say that, Alison. Oh, okay, please. <laughs> what, no, do you, actually, what do you have? <laughs> well, in the book, we, we have a kind of a, a pyramid which talks about mm. everything that, that goes on. So it's the idea of the, the brand iceberg. I, in my kind of agency world, I talk about the the idea of visual identity, which is what most banks associate with the brand concept. But that's the tiny little 
part of the, the pyramid. And to Alison's point, it's about everything you do. It's about everything you say. It's how you're seen in the market. We try not to use the culture word, but it's about how you behave as an organization. Mm-hmm. And all of that is what your visual identity should represent, but it will not. it's not what defines you. Yeah, it, you, you guys put it, it, it it's in, in the intro in the book about uh, that this demands a shift in thinking. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that, is a, that is a psychological venture as much as it is anything. Yes, it's, it's marketing, but, um, but I love the way that you guys described that, that it's not about the logo mark. It's not about your font mm-hmm. set. It's not about your hex colors and your, you know, all the things. Those are only mirror surface reflections, correct? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, and, and in the book, you, you utilize the Cantar uh, brands and all of that. So why should bank execs really care about this? I mean, Liz, you bring forward uh, a lot of data in the book. And Allison, you just explained that well, that it's not just so that we look cool, right? right. <laughs> or, yeah. or, or catchy or memorable, or that our messaging is yeah. is dynamic. It is all those things, and there are bigger reasons, right? So, so what what are some of those? Why should boards and execs care? I mean, I think that you know the the, the data that we we have in the book really speaks for itself, which says if you can create an emotional and an emotive connection with your customers, they spend more, they save more. They give you more of their share of wallet. And the thing that's going to drive emotion is not, you know, necessarily, you know, rate campaigns or, you know, whatever it is that you're choosing to put on your your website. It's about who you are as an organization and what you do. So brand is what drives the customer behaviors that you need from your customers. And that is what will ultimately drive your revenue or your deposits or whatever it is that you've got a goal to to achieve over the the next kind of twelve months. Yeah, and I would add to that. I mean, there's there's usually two kinds of boards, right? You've got the board board, b o r e d b o r e d board, which is you know they're there to just make sure this thing does not go off the rails. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's board boards, and then there's kind of growth boards, right? So people that have been brought in to pivot or adjust the institution. And I can't think of a strategy that works better for both of those types of boards than thinking more like a brand. Because for the board boards, to Liz's point, there's retention, there's share of wallet. I mean, there's just cold, hard facts Mm -hmm. that you can't argue with, right? And the great news is there's also words that appeal to that kind of board board. There's consistency, recognition. Those are all like red meat potatoes type things for that group. So you've got that group covered. And then if you've got the kind of the growth board, the new board, right? They want to do something different that are the ones that are like, hey, I just saw a post about AI. Are we doing that? Like that kind of board. Brand is an amazing strategy for that group as well because there's a dynamism there. There's new opportunity. We actually argue that brand is is really the next frontier for growth, right? It is mm-hmm. the next acquisition pool and acquisition strategy. So no matter which one of those you sit under or beside, brand is a super flexible strategy to um, to use for both because 
board boards become growth boards, growth boards become board boards. Um, so it's it's pretty it's pretty foolproof, at least in our experience. Yeah, I yeah. think particularly in this economic climate, it's interesting because I don't know what your inbox looks like, but I've got I think this morning four different. Um, marketing pieces offering me another 0.25% APR if I want to shift my money. And I genuinely every day now, and it's all edging up and rate wars have begun again. Again, <laughs> And yeah. I think in that kind of environment, yes, it's a game to play. It's a lever to pull. But in terms of thinking about long-term strategy and long-term growth, focusing on a great brand, and focusing on being the kind of organization that lives through that brand will deliver much more in the long term than playing at kind of, you know, rate war games in the, yeah. in, in the economy. Well, I, I mean, I, I like, I think about it like, you know, there's what, 5,000 or so community banks and credit unions in the country. And, you know, the vast majority of them, if you go to their website, it's a stock image. It says trusted and local. And it's like, they're doing, you know, the, uh, I think we're going to get to the, the principles in your book in a minute, but it's like, if you just do something different, you, you, you stand out. And it's mm -hmm. not about being, you know, completely wacky or you know, making no. yourself look like a neobank and coming up with a new name. It's just, how do you stand, how do you, how do you get your mission? How do you get the good things that your bank's already doing out there? Right. 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 Yeah, I mean, thinking of it as a brand is also a distribution channel. Right. So you kind of talk about like getting it, you know, getting whatever it is out there. Now, you don't have to be crazy. I mean, you can. I'm the one to talk to if you want to do the crazy part. If you do not want to do crazy, you can talk to Liz. But, but you're right. It's, it's such it, it's sad, but happy at the same time that differentiation is such a low bar of entry in our industry right now. And sometimes doing the counterintuitive thing, which is one of the principles not just to be contrary, but to to test how far you can take that new mindset, you know, it's worked really, really well, right? And if yeah. it doesn't, I mean, the positive is as much as we like to think that the public hangs on our every word as marketers and bank marketers, they don't. So mm -hmm. even if it's an abject failure, which would be unfortunate, it's not going to tank the bank. It's just going to be like a really dumb campaign that was unfortunate. <laughs> But we've all had them, mm -hmm. and we're still here, right? So, yeah, permission well, I, to do that. You know, Liz, you mentioned like the, you know, an email saying a quarter percent increase in rate, and I, you know, I think those without any other differentiation, if you're just the trusted and local bank, that just yeah gets the rate shoppers, right? Yeah. But but it's also a quarter percent is not enough to make somebody who really cares about your brand actually make a switch, right? It's probably account mm -hmm. for most people accounts to a couple bucks. And for a small subset of the population, like that will matter and they'll go wherever, but they're not tied to the brand anyway. So if you're, you know, but then on the other hand, the other hand, most banks that I speak with now are talking about how do we make our customers stickier? How do we, you know, sell them more products to keep them around longer or things like that? But brand is another way to make them stickier, to make them make them care. Yeah. And Dan, I think you just said it. It's the stick to the brand. You know, how how is it about a uh, a, a, actually a passionate connection to where it is rather than just a mobile app where I log in and keep my money and do my stuff, you know? And yeah, a, a quarter percent might entice me because that's all I really care about versus uh, a, a brand and a, a, a set of, dare I say, outspoken values 
or personality or personalities or, um, you know, true community-focused passion or whatever the case may be. Uh, Liz and Allison, Dan and I talk a lot on this show about finding your superpower, you know, as, as a marketing uh, tool and engine and focus and, and, uh, and platform to walk forward on. And I think it's very close, Allison, to what you were describing just a few minutes ago and finding that superpower. And sometimes, again, to your first principle in the book, doing something counterintuitive to speak to that has impact. And it affects relationships that you currently have because yeah. our current customer base or member base are the easiest to speak to. And hopefully, you know, it speaks to to others and maybe draws them to you. So, yeah. So I think yeah. those can be great things. When I think the quarter of a percent, not to, to flog this, it actually can be super impactful. What does the quarter percent allow you to do is thinking like a brand. Thinking like a bank is make it really big on the homepage or on the billboard. And I don't mean that in a critical way. That's fine. That's awareness. But resonance, which is thinking like a brand, is that quarter percent may be a few bucks. But if you are a environmentally conscious person or you know from research your audience is more philanthropic, let them donate and round up that three to four bucks to a local a local charity. So you're this quarter of a percent in Liz's inbox Right, you should have a picture of, you know, literacy is extremely important to Liz, childhood literacy. That should be what it allows her to do. That's the ad, that's the hook, which is enabled by the quarter of a percent. So we're not saying the rates don't matter, they do, but they matter in terms of what they enable you to do. Just like in retail, what the amazing suit allows you to do in an interview, right? It's not about the amazing suit, it's about the outcome that the suit can drive. So yeah. that's more thinking like a brand. There you go. Well, so in the book, we've mentioned it here a couple of times, all four of us have, mm -hmm. that the, the the book is based around or, or goes forward after mindset goes into your five principles. So yes. uh, we've talked about doing counterintuitive things. That's the first one. So can you guys share some more about these principles and, and uh, you know, application and ultimately the takeaways from those, please? Sure. So... I mean, let's just kind of reiterating on the sometimes do the counterintuitive thing. It's very much about being prepared to move out of your comfort zone. And it comes back to the question, you know, we talked about, you know, starting with the right mindset that says, you know, we're not brain surgeons. You know, no one's going to die if the decision that we make today doesn't work out the way that we wanted it to work out. And sometimes it might feel like the wrong thing to do. So, for example, what we were just talking about, you know, acquiring new customers doesn't have to be about going bigger and wider. Actually, one of the things both Alison and I are super passionate about is the idea of creating very niche, um, very focused banking experiences, which do things that matter. To bankers, that's an, totally counterintuitive to what you would normally do. So yeah. that's really how we approach that. Another uh, counterintuitive example we include in the book is actually um, from Partners Federal Credit Union from John Janklis, who was the longtime uh, president and CEO there. And in their effort to become more digital, they actually spent more time 
out in the field talking to the cast members because you know they serve all of the Walt Disney companies. So it was it's a little counterintuitive to start doing a tremendous amount of in-person field research to then go become more digital and possibly create some distance uh, from the membership. But there's some examples like that that folks can really kind of put into into practice to uh, to test that principle out. Yeah, I think you learn so much by just talking talking to customers, you know, and, and yeah. uh, going through like business books, and you always see the those exact type of stories from ev- from every industry of like the the CEO that goes out and sits on the shop floor, or goes out and meets mm-hmm. with customers. And it's always a transformational change of like, oh, well, we thought we thought X was happening, but it's really Y. When we talked to the customer, they didn't care about. I mean, I'm going to go back to that. The quarter percent they cared right. about the UI of the online banking system. I'm making that up, but you learn, you know, you learn so much by going out there. And um, it's surprising, I think, that we don't see more banks doing that since the, you know, the most banks' mission is predicated on that connection. Yeah. Well, I think it's, um, you know, unfortunately, when you've been in a community for a period of time, however you define community, and when you've been serving them, you kind of, um, you talk yourself into that you're the customer or that you're the member, right? And that's not the case, right? You know, customers and members are super dynamic, which is amazing, which is one of my favorite parts about this industry. Um, so it's a constant, it's a constant education, but not in a way of, oh my gosh, I always have to be catching up. You, you know, these people are crazy and they're fickle and they're all these things. That's the negative mindset. Mm-hmm. The opportunity with the fact that people have fluidity when it turn when it comes to the communities, because I'm sorry, but banks don't define communities, people do, and they're defining them very differently than their zip code. But there's a huge opportunity in that because they're not defining themselves that they live in Topeka, and that is your one and only opportunity. They're defining themselves as a member of five, six, 15 communities all of which you can appeal to in a brand way that is an amazing opportunity for growth and depth in the in the customer and the member relationship. So the fluidity and people talk about Gen Z and they switch, and they do these things. Yes, they do. And that is an amazing opportunity for financial institutions. If they just define it by the community where they live, you've got one shot and one shot only and a very limited set of products that you can bring to bear if they just identify themselves as being from a place. So Allison, you mentioned a couple of times too that getting them and that process and um, the, the kind of how you go do that. And one of your other principles is about embracing tension. And mm-hmm. I don't want to embrace tension. Tension makes yeah. me feel, uh, you know, yeah, makes me feel uncomfortable. And, and those of you that are listening, I'm wiggling around in my chair because nobody... Yeah. You know, you're like, embrace tension. That doesn't mm-hmm. sound like something that I want to run toward. So, right. so why, why guys uh, embrace tension? What do you mean by that? Well, we, so we already do it today, right? Bankers already do it today when you talk about helping someone with a mortgage loan or anything having to do with lending has, has tension, guys. And it has a lot of contradiction to it. So we already do it today. So it's not as huge of a, of a leap as you might think. But the reason why we encourage folks to, um, 
to embrace tension and create contradiction is because that's where a lot of opportunity can be. You know, the common wisdom in entrepreneurial circles is the best product you can create is fixing something that annoys you. Hmm. So if you lean in, I'm not saying like lean into tension, like face to face, like we're not, (laughs) don't yell at people. We're not saying do that. We're just saying there is tension in your organization. And if you lean into that tension, and it is a little cringy, but if you lean into that tension, you're going to find that product or service or whatever that you can fix that starts bringing that entrepreneurial, that brand spirit into your institution. Because there's so many things that are annoying where we all work. And if we lean into that, we can start really solving those things. And it comes back down into this idea of, you know, a lot of the banks, certainly that I've worked with, there, there's still a big challenge around siloing. So you have tensions between the goals and objectives of this department and that department, you know, usually marketing and compliance, but, you know, there are other relationships. But actually, if you lean into those, you get somewhere great. So I think one of, you know, um, my my favorite things when Alice and I were working together at Nimbus is we had an amazing, you know, leader in the compliance organization. And whereas normally you're fighting to get your content out and do what you want to do, she became a partner. And we took that tension and we turned that tension into a great partnership. Yeah, there was a little bit of, you know, shoveling around and, you know, a little bit of this at the beginning. But where we netted out was incredible. We were faster in getting things to market. We were more creative in getting things to market because we turned attention into a creative opportunity. So, you know, I think coming out of the the next principle starts talking about, you know, how do you kind of, how do you run to to the tension, right? Cue the remix. Mm. You talk a little more how about kind of, you know, you found your tension points, you're, you know, trying to kind of go towards them, but... I think I think at that point a lot of um, banks and organizations kind of get stuck. Like, well, how do we? We've been doing the same thing the same way for so long. You know, how do we um, actually go about getting in, getting more in touch with what our customers want, or solving those those tension points? Yeah, no, I I think Q the Remix can absolutely be used to solve tension points because it's really about utilizing and leveraging things you already have or have done, but in a new way, right? So, you know, as marketers, we sort of have this self-imposed pressure and bar to create from scratch and we celebrate the new and the never been seen. And I'm, I'm totally there. Like, I love that stuff too. But that's really undue pressure and tension on yourself, right? I, I just, I struggle with the mindset that Everything we've done is crap. Everything that's new is better because everything in the past was crap. No, it was not. It was the best decision you could make at the time, right? I mean, to to do otherwise is to continually start from zero and you will never build momentum that way. So to me, you know, when you're leaning into the attention of working with compliance or, you know, whatever it is, it's like, go back to some things that, You've done, whether they've worked or not worked, but put that fresh lens on it. You don't have to start from scratch. You don't have to hire a big consultant. You don't have to rebrand the entire bank. None of that. It's just like, you know what you're doing. They know what they're doing. You have to start with, you know, with that mindset or else, you know, you're going to be a total jerk. 
but like assume positive intent and then build from there. And that's more than philosophy. That's how some of the absolute greatest brands out there today approach ideation and implementation. You look at Target as a wonderful example. I'm big on retail examples because they're not that different than we think. Um, Target was challenged to basically bring in low-cost apparel for women. And the very first thing they did was they went and they partnered. And it didn't work, right? It became kind of a Kmart, if for those who are old enough to remember Kmart, Kmart, Walmart-esque experience. Then they went out and they did bespoke partnerships. So they narrowed it, they niched it, and that's where their collab started to come in. And that worked out fairly well, but it actually attracted the wrong audience. It didn't attract the moms, it attracted the young people. So they took that exact same thing, that exact same collab, and then they collaborated to create the target brands of products that we know today, right? So it's the target brand with collaboration underneath. So the point of that is, that was three different iterations on the exact same topic. There was no like blue sky thinking in that at all. And it is now their number one line of business or the target brands for women. And it's become an M&A vehicle for them. So repeat that to yourself for your bank all the way through. And there'll be some really interesting stuff there. That's the, that's the remix. And, and that speaks also, and you mentioned, and uh, in, in one of the directions you guys go next in the book is about products. Uh, and the product's not what it used to be. And that is certainly the case. And I know we struggle in this, again, mindset conversation uh, around brand and personality with so many of our bank clients that want to put a deposit account or loan product in a newspaper ad, and they're going to come knock on the door. They're going to come walk in in the lobby. And yeah, w w without putting down any particular platforms or marketing vehicles or whatever the case may be, that's, yeah, that product is not at all what it used to be. So, so speak a little deeper into that because it's even about data and it's about lots of things, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that the number one point is that people are increasingly buying on beliefs and mm. buying on mission. So when you go to buy a product, you're not necessarily buying the function of that product anymore. And this is particularly the case for, you know, um, millennials and, and Gen Z you are buying from organizations and you are choosing the products that you want based on who's producing them and who's selling them and what else they're doing in the world. Mm -hmm. so you can have the greatest product. Yeah, if I think about the example I always use here is, you know, the, the Patagonia brand and the Patagonia story. You know, everyone pays Patagucci prices, but they pay for a great product. But actually, you know, Everyone else does this very similar product, but what they don't do is produce it, market it, and then give back to the world in the same way that Patagonia does. That's what product to me is now. It's everything that happens in the supply chain and it's everything about the organization that's selling and building that product. Yeah. And Liz is very kind on that point. I would say for product isn't what it used to be is code for 
you can't buy your way out of the problem, but like you need to do the hard work, which is the the mindset work yeah. and the change management work because you can't buy your way out of it. Like, sorry, <laughs> wish you could, um, but you can't. You cannot buy your way out of some of these challenges that we're talking about. You have to do the mindset work. You have to coach and compose, which is the next one. You have to bring your team along. You have to bring your customers and members along. You can't buy your way out of it. Can't rely on product to do that for you. Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at a, a lot of brands that resonate with, you know, millennials and Gen Z, which is every bank wants to attract. And you know, Tom's Shoes gives away a pair of shoes. Everyone you buy, there's a lot of those examples. And yeah, you don't see them in banking, but banks, community banks, always give back to their communities, right? You're buying the sponsorships. You're you're already doing that stuff, so. It's part of your mission, whether or not you explicitly state it in your mission statements. And you, you uh, or also in the book, you make the point of so many mission statements just sound so generic. I think you put, you know, three or four of the biggest banks' mission statements, and they all kind of sound the same. But if you can differentiate and say, "Hey, we give back to the, we give back to this community that we're in," you know, you can kind of stand apart. Um, I mean, how, how do you, how do you think about like, what do you suggest to banks that are Kind of resonating with this and thinking about differentiating their mission statements or or, or um, trying to weave some of that in. How do they? How should they think about that? I mean, I think from from my point of view, the the mission statement is is kind of the the end product of going through the mindset shift to think as like a brand. So, creating a mission statement to me is similar to creating you know a new visual identity, but it has to come from the the will and the goal and the genuine reason for being so the why of the bank or the credit union and the purpose is a big the part purpose. of that yeah yeah, it yeah. Is. yeah 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 and it's about specificity right so it's kind of going to the fluidity right mm-hmm. in the past saying you know we're here for the community or mm-hmm. you know Tom's fifteen years ago could have said you know we care about children's safety or whatever and that would have been enough but there's been a there's been enough um mm-hmm. great stuff that's happened and enough not great stuff that's happened that people are like prove it to me mm. prove yeah. it to me so getting specific whether it's with your mission statement mm-hmm. or how you bring that mission statement to life is really key so it it is the one pair of shoes it's not we love our community it's we give everyone at the bank, whatever, a day off a month to go by, you know, those sort of specific things. Great news, you already do that. Um, your mindset might be like, people don't care about that or that seems really self-serving. We don't do that for credit. No, I'm not saying you do that for credit, but if you're going to lead with, we care about the community, the onus is on you to then, frankly, to to show it and to show it very specifically. So get just as specific with those things Mm-hmm. as you do with your rates. If you do that, if you just do that one thing and you like gloss over all the rest of the things we've said, get as specific with how you live your mission as you do with your rates, you will kill it. Yeah. And I think one of the things just, you know, talking about people saying, oh, we don't want to be self-serving. That to me is part of the embrace the tension and create contradictions. Mm. Because one of the things I love about community banks is also the thing that I think holds them back a lot is that they are very afraid to talk about what they do 
They just kind of, they want to do it. But actually that's part of who you are. That's part of your why. And there's no shame in mm -hmm. telling those stories. And even better if you can get the community involved in delivering on those things as well. So you get to that idea of multiplier. If people don't know about it, they're not going to contribute to it. And it's not really community. So I think, you know, the, to me, if community banks can just take all the great things they do and turn that into their story and turn that into their brand, they're going to look really different in a couple of years' time. And, and you guys have both said it, Liz, you know, that it, you're already doing it. But most of them are already doing that. I mean, Dan's agency out of St. Louis and mine here in Mississippi, and we both work with uh, bank and, and, and some mm -hmm. credit union clients all over the place. Um, and one of the reasons that we've chosen to do so and that we're in this niche is because it's really great people. And they mm -hmm. are community-minded and community-focused people. And, and you guys are both so right. They're already doing so many of those things, probably internally, how they treat their people. Mm -hmm. You know, and also both their desire and actions to impact the community and 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 literally turn a a dilapidated small town downtown area, turn it around and mm -hmm. and fund that and make it happen and all that. So it it's it's from the single pair of shoes all the way to the big stories like yeah. that. And and you guys are so right. Those are there. And you know, they're they're not they're not telling those stories often enough. So, so right. I love that you guys well, have put a platform out here to to encourage them to do that. Yeah, and that's what it should be, really. Chris is encouraging. Like we we see it, right? It's like you're. It's like when you're a parent. It's like you you see the potential of your child mm. if they would just stop playing video games. No, but <laughs> projecting a little bit there. Um, but no, it it is there. Like at the risk of sounding Pollyanna, it is absolutely there. And the wild thing is what's keeping people back is this, this sort of misplaced humility. Mm -hmm. Like banks are important. Banking is a noble profession. That's what Rilla Delorier says, you know, formerly mm -hmm. at Umqua. Um, and it's a noble profession. It is an essential service. It is mm -hmm. okay to talk about the great yeah. work you're doing and the people that you help. People actually do want to know about those things because they want to find their place in it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, there's just, it's it's not hard, but it is. And so we're seeing a lot of, you know, kind of traction and momentum from the from the book and people performing the Starbucks story live from the beginning of the book and all kinds of crazy stuff. So uh, we're just very flattered to to see that that folks are starting to kind of pick up and, and try a little bit of this. Yeah. Well, one of the biggest things, the biggest takeaways I loved from the book was um, almost like the last sentence, right? You and this is a theme throughout, but um, you know, when you're wrapping up, see what up, that was. <laughs> well, you know, and, the, and kind of the coach and compose section, uh, yeah. right at the end, you're, you're, and then you're summarizing at the end, it said, you know, things are not changing, they've already changed. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it's, it's like, you read a lot of literature, not not your book, but you read, you know, read a lot of a lot of the kind of articles in the in the industry. And it's talking about, oh, banks need to become data driven. And here's some trends that are happening. But I, you know, the reality is, it's, it's not, and that's where the world has gone. And banks just haven't, caught up, especially on the brand stuff. And it's, but it's because it's really hard, right? Mm -hmm. So the last, the last principle around coaching is super important is just to realize it's not, oh, we do these things. We just need to put a page on the website or put up a post on Facebook. Mm -hmm. It's, 
it's really a, a you know kind of a, a mindset shift and you know let let that mission let the stuff you're already doing kind of drive forward can you can you talk a little bit more about you know what you meant around that that things are not changing they've already changed like what you know how banks can um, think about the process to already to actually like catch up and then move forward with with these concepts I mean, I think the thing is that, um, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier when we said, you know, the the growth of brands that you connect with emotionally, the need to do more with the resources and everything that you have within the organization and the need to change your mindset. So really, you know, you can't not do the things that are required to meet the new needs of people in the marketplace. Uh, you can't ignore it. What you need to do is work out how you can address it. You know, digital banking is not going away. The growth of mission-based purchasing is not going away. Um, so it's really about what can I do? What can I take from what I have today? And how can I really get my organization to just think, you know what, we've just got to try some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, it's no longer an opportunity just to sit and, you know, let things happen around you. So to to me, it's very much about let's let's just accept the things that we know, to your point, all the trends we're seeing, you know, the growth of data, all that kind of stuff, and think, okay, let's accept this is our normal now. And then let's think about how we can use the principles that we've got in the book to start to address it one little step at a time. You know, it's yeah. not about a revolution. It's about yeah. finding what's the next thing. You know, what's the next thing? And then just building it, but moving. Movement's the important thing. No, I agree. I think in many cases, revolution it would probably be a lot easier than what we're what we're mm. suggesting. You know, just throw all this out. Um, but I think to, you know, Dan, to to catch up, you also have to know what race you're running. Mm-hmm. Like, what the heck does we need to catch up even mean? Like, when you know, going back to the boards, guys, we need to catch up. Okay. Yeah, what are we catching up to? You know, who are we catching? What do we do when we catch said per? You know, like, I'm being silly, but it's to force a point, which is this, you can't have a generic set of products. Mm -hmm. You can't have a generic brand. And you sure as heck can't have a generic, you know, business idea to catch up or to you know, be modern. Okay. Be modern to whom and, you know, and, and how. And, and so I'm saying that because you have to narrow your focus. All of this sounds ri- ridiculously hard if it's everything, right? Mm-hmm. If it's every customer, every department in the bank, all at once, that's, that's the revolution stuff. Mm-hmm. No, not saying that is let's, let's pick a race that we want to run that we feel like we can run, that we can get behind, right? You want to be running to something, not from something. So all the stuff out there, banks are bad, they're stupid, they're behind, your core is old, whatever. If you're doing your activities based on that, you're running from something. What we want you to do is to run to something, right? And so that kind of just, again, it just takes more work. You can't buy your way there. It's really not fast or easy, but it is, man, you talk about a permanent change. This is not like weight loss on January 1st. This is like real permanent change that can happen. And that's where that coaching comes in. Compose that vision, coach people towards that vision. 
but it's running towards something, not, mm-hmm. not away. And you guys both commented early on, and you say it in the book as well, is, is in that race, Allison, if you stumble, don't check up and stop. You just mm-hmm. keep going, you know, and, yeah. and it's, yeah. So, uh, and, and there's so many instances that all of us have in that in our business. Well, we try something and we get, you know, step one or two down the way. <gasps> Gosh, that, that way didn't work. That doesn't right. mean that, that you're running the wrong race. Right. It's Correct. just a matter of, you know, uh, staying the course, sometimes regroup. Uh, and, and, you know, that's certainly part of it. And, yeah. um, and remembering who you're doing the work for, right? As marketers, we've got to be really careful here, which is if a campaign fails, who did it fail? Mm-hmm. Probably failed you. Doesn't feel good, but that's really not who you're doing the work for. Um, so if we remember who we're there to do the work for, that can really help you just keep going in a race. Because like they're like, oh, sure, that's easy for you to say. You're a this and that. It's like, no, dude, I fall down all the time, but I'm failing myself. And so I own that. Um, if I fail a customer, I'll be super upset. But you gotta, you know, but I don't usually because I know who I'm doing the work for, and that's sort of the lens. So that's that's a really important part to give yourself the permission to to keep going. Cause again, you're running towards something, you're not running from the mistake or the, you know, screwed up campaign. Love that. Well, and you guys do a phenomenal job in the book also of, of, of flow. And you mentioned it a little while ago, but the stories and, and you, you pause at places and outline takeaways and, and you make the process of this book, by the way, was my experience with it is really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Liz, although you incorporate data, in here, it's sensibility that's delivering value. It's not, uh, you know, a bunch of numbers that I've got to try to derive and make sense of and how does it apply to my bank. Um, yeah. So really, really sensible stuff. And then for us, really, you know, semi, somewhat, somewhat feeble-minded ones, you even give some big stuff in here. <laughs> you know, and just... Okay. That was for me. That was- <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah. I love that, you know, yeah. and it's like, okay, if you didn't get all of this on the, the the couple hundred previous pages, let me let me give you the big bullet points here. And I, I love that. Um, and, I, and I'm going to teach uh, and, and talk with my team pretty extensively about these as well, because this is some some great, great carry forward stuff. And um, yeah, th- this has been phenomenal. And I think really, really a lot of meat on the bone in this conversation for our listeners today, guys. Well, thank you so much for having us. Yeah. 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 Been really great. Yeah. And and speaking of fun, before we let you go, uh, as we made you guys aware, we we have a lightning round where we like to to get a little more insight into you. Mm. So, yeah. So, so Dan, since there's two of them and two of us, maybe we could alternate or something. (laughs) Do this a little differently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. So, the, the, the first question is around, you know, is, is for for you to share kind of what's your personal best or business best, something great that's happened. Um, Liz, why don't we start? Why start with you? Well, I'm going to maybe, maybe a bit obvious and actually say it's um, writing the book and getting the book out there. Um, as Alison said, it was a bucket list item for me, which I never thought I'd ever get myself around to doing. Uh, with a bit of discipline, a lot of great conversation, it just kind of happened. But the best part of it is actually all the people that I've met off the back of the book. I've been to new and different places off the back of the book. 
And, you know, it's given me a renewed passion for the work that I do. So um, I'm really loving the fact that I finally got up and, and, and did it. I think that's awesome. So all of those things, I would say my personal best is that I am no longer intimidated by my Instapot. Um, that is a milestone that I have reached as of this past weekend. It does not blow up in your face. It doesn't. So that's that's really a personal best for me. So are, are you? is that from reading the directions or finally just hitting the button and trying it? Uh, both. Okay. Um, I both, but I, I did. I'm like, this isn't going to explode. So anyway, it doesn't explode on you uh, when you take the lid off, even if it's pressurized. It's hot, um, but yeah, no, it's fine. So I am totally into the Instapot now. Right. Well, Allison, do you have a uh, a favorite book besides your own? I mean, or, or, or other resource that comes to mind. Uh, <laughs> I love to read. So it's having a favorite is is a tough one for me. So it's a business book. I just finished reading Reality-Based Leadership by Cy Wakeman. If you haven't read that, I definitely recommend it. It's tough love, but it's good. And then on the personal side, there is a book I absolutely love. And I'm talking about this constantly. It's called Eating Salad Drunk. And it is a collection of haikus written by comedians. It is hysterical. And so that is another one that I would just, it has nothing to do with what we talked about today, but it is hilarious. Okay, I'm, you, much, I'm much more boring, but I've got two <laughs> sides to me. So um, I'm somewhat obsessed with um, the US data website. So it's something that when Steve Ballmer um, uh, left Microsoft, he created and funded uh, this website, which is all about creating beautiful snapshots of data about the US, the people, the population, everything. And it's one of my favorite go-tos just for really interesting bits to learn about the country. And that's my kind of the, the data side of my brain. So to keep that in control, the other thing that I've always got on my desk is this one, which oh. is um, The Practice by Seth Godin. And mm. it's just lots of little inspirations and reminders to to engage your creative brain and to kind of engage that that different mindset. So I kind of like keep both sides in control with my two favorite bits. Those are great. Well, let's do it. So the next two questions around uh, the, the most impactful piece of advice you've ever gotten and then, you know, flipping that around something that uh, some piece of advice you always give your, you know, your staff or the team that you're working on. So when I want we oh, hit, hit both of those at once. <laughs> uh, well, but my team going to listen to this? Um, most impactful piece of advice actually is is in the first page of the book is from my dad um, that he gave me, which is you don't need a classroom to be a teacher. Um, so that he gave me when I was, I think, 16 years old. And I've, I've held on to it um, ever since. Um, advice. So careful on giving advice to marketers. Just, you know, PSA that doesn't need to be said. But um, so my team... Uh, I'm usually challenging them to make an impact rather than just to get stuff done. And and that's that's what I say kind of on repeat. Like, are you making an impact? Or are you just getting stuff done? And uh, that's that's kind of a theme for me. So I think my advice received and advice given is kind of similar because I think it's something that I try to live by. And the, the first one, the advice I was given is focus on what you learned, not what happened. So 
so that mm. next time you have to do it, you're going to do it better. And the the other side that I always kind of try to say to teams is, you know, trust your your intuition. Yes, data is amazing, but if it feels right, it probably is. Mm-hmm. You have never told me that, just so you know. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Usually the opposite, but no, this is good. Now, well, now you're you can, recorded. Now you, yeah. I was going to say, we're you can rewatch or re-listen to yeah. this podcast yeah. over and over, Allison. Yeah, I'll be like, it that. feels like it will work. No. There you go. So. <laughs> so. Well, guys, this uh, this has been a great visit and a great episode. And uh, as I said earlier, there's been some really uh, value-filled stuff for for all of our listeners. And I know for Dan and I, you know, I, I speak for us as, as well, too. So, um, like I said, I, my, my team is going to to read the book and, and hopefully dissect it, you know, like I have as well. So a lot of great nuggets in there. So thanks for, for your great work. Um, Absolutely. Thank yeah. So, so, so on that, tell, tell our listeners how they can get your book, how they can get in touch with you guys. Yeah. I'm huge on TikTok. No, I was kidding. Um, so <laughs> LinkedIn is, is where you can find me. That's where we put uh, put all of his stuff, this book, any kind of new projects I'm I'm working on. But um, but Liz has a has a couple other channels as well. Yep. yep. So I also um, look after our Twitter feed, which is called um, Brand Before Bank, as in B, the letter B and number four. So Brand Before Bank. That's where you know Alison and I share what we're reading what we get out of it and you know try and pull it back into the book so it's kind of a nice place to kind of keep the conversation going around the book love that and the the books on amazon right is that the best place to get it yeah yeah it's on amazon um so super easy there and then you know just like you know chris and i were talking about if um you know bulk orders things like that we can um we can absolutely uh do something there so you can just reach out to one of us uh, but yeah grab it on amazon it's on audible kindle paperback and at the hardback sale we've had has gone i think to my mom but uh, you can buy it in hardback <laughs> if you <laughs> if you want to but people write in the book so just get the paperback but yeah it's on amazon yeah. And the, actually, well. the other thing is we have the very conveniently named website, which oh, is yes. thinklikeabrandbook.com. And actually there you'll find Alison has done a, a whole series of podcasts, um, interviews with some of the people that appear in the book and some additional kind of industry influencers who've read the book and come and talk about that. So you can access those there. And we've also got some resources. If people are interested in the book, we've got all the charts from the book are there to download if you want to use them in presentations. We've got a script if you want to act out the vignette. <laughs> and we've got that. some ideas around workshops that people might want to run in their, their organizations as well. All right. Outstanding. We'll, we'll, and we'll link all that stuff up in the show notes and you don't have to cool. do, do all the searching. But thanks for that. So you got a great... Great resource there. I'm definitely going to check out um, some of those recordings and mm-hmm. continue on the brand journey here. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, and we'll send everybody to to our website, bankmarketingshow.com, where they'll find this episode, all of these links to you guys, your your book selections. I don't know about the Instapot stuff, Allison. Maybe. Yeah, maybe I mean, can, I can yeah. just connect with me. I can talk to you. There I you can go. talk you through it. There you yeah, go. For but, sure. Uh, but to get connected 
uh, to you guys. And uh, we can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, phenomenal job on this. Uh, really great to spend uh, this time with you as well. And we look forward to engaging with you guys going forward. Sure. Yeah. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us. To go deeper or get access to some of the valuable nuggets from today's show, go to bankmarketingshow.com. There you'll find episodes, links to resources, and much more. Be sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. And join us next time.